0: Saw me playing with this thing the whole time. I feel like a horse that just got a saddle put on for like the first time or something. I don't know. I feel like my neck's broke. I feel like I can't move in this thing. So if it falls off, I'm just going to keep going and roll with it. So if you came this morning expecting a formal something, I'm a youth pastor. Formal's not in my vocabulary. So um, I'm just going to throw that out the window right now. But it is good to be able to be here with you all this morning to um, be able to speak. In Dr. Garrison's place while he's gone, just like Travis said, he's in New York City um, with his boys. And so I hope they're having a great time. I think they're flying back tonight, so be in prayer for that flight and stuff like that. But he'll be back on Wednesday night, so come out Wednesday and hear him teach if I do a horrible job. Today, you probably saw in the bulletin, it just says John 15... The title of my sermon today is called New Fruit. It's gonna be in John chapter 15. And if you're a note taker, you probably freaked out when you opened your bulletin and didn't see the sermon note outline thing. Some of you are like, we put those in the bulletin. Um, You know, it's okay. I don't take notes very well. But for those of you who do, I apologize. But the points will be on the screen if Travis follows along with me this morning. This morning, I just simply wanna talk about what our purpose is and how it's very, very simple from God's point of view. Just as a grapevine, we're going to talk about the vine here in a second. That's what this passage is all about. Just as a vine must do, the main purpose of our lives is to produce fruit. Even more fundamental of a lesson, we must never forget that the owner of the vineyard is in charge. You know, the vines in the vineyard aren't in charge of the vineyard. The vine dresser is. We're going to talk about that. He's in control and focused on receiving just as much fruit as possible from that vineyard. So today, John chapter 15 is where we're going to be at. But before we get there to kind of the prelude, preface this real quick. John chapter 15. I want you to think about where we're at here in the New Testament. Remember this when the passage is being read, the when of it, when it is happening. Jesus had just washed the feet of his disciples. He led them through the final meal. He had instituted the Lord's Supper. And now walked with them to the Garden of Gethsemane where he will soon pray and later be arrested and will soon be persecuted and crucified the very next day. Jesus knew the timetable. He was using his words very, very carefully at this moment because he knew that every word he spoke from this point on would be super, super important. And just here he's using an object lesson, you know, kind of comparing, contrasting what he wanted his disciples to do what their missions were, not just the disciples, but for everybody, and for everybody to come after Jesus would be gone. He's using a metaphor here, so to speak, symbolism, whatever you want to call it, of here of the signs that a gardener, a vine dresser, this vineyard idea. They would get it very clearly because that's the time they were living in. Most people either worked or had a vineyard of some sort. They knew exactly what he was talking about. The vines, you know, in order to produce fruit had to be tended, cleaned, and pruned. If not, they wouldn't produce fruit. And that was the whole point of having a vineyard. You want to produce fruit. So this season of growth would have been a season of care and would have been a prelude to the season of harvest, which is the ultimate goal of a vineyard. You know, to start off this morning, there's a tale of an old woman kind of deals with the idea of ownership there's this there was this elderly lady who had just bought in groceries from a grocery store we'll say walmart i don't know crazy things happen at walmart so walmart she was walking to her car and she gets to her car and she notices four guys sitting in her car you might have heard this just bear with me these four guys are sitting in her car and with the rising Crime rates in America and stuff, you know. She kind of freaks out. She's like, she's like, I've been waiting for this moment. I know exactly what I'm gonna do. She sets her groceries on the ground and she pulls out a handgun. She has a handgun in her purse. Packing old woman, Um, but she pulls it out and she goes up to the car. I guess in front of it. I don't know where they could all see her. And she points it and she says, "I've got a gun. Get out of my car, or I'm gonna call the cops." And so, all these people, all these guys, these four guys start barreling out. Bodies are flying, you know, seat belts are coming undone, whatever they have to do, doors are flying, and they just take off running. And this woman is like, Yeah, I got them. That's exactly why I have it. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call the cops later and tell about it, but I've got them for now. So, these guys are running. This old woman picks up her groceries. She gets in her car and she grabs her keys. Obviously, she's a little frantic. You know, I guess, even though she's the one who had the gun. Don't really know why. But she's a little frantic, and so she, she's trembling, you know, and she's thinking that's what it is, and she can't get her keys in the car. And then come to find out, looking over, there's an identical car that's like four cars away. And sure enough, she goes and puts the key in that one, and It starts. She had mistaken her car for someone else's car and had just committed robbery, just like she had been trying to avoid these guys doing. And so she packs up her stuff, she gets in her car, and she goes to the police station and the desk sergeant sitting there. She tells him the story, and of course he's just laughing. And she looks over to the left and hear these four guys who are trembling in their shoes or whatever they're wearing, literally shaking and crying, some of them. And she said, and they said, and they said oh, it was just a big misunderstanding. It's okay, like we're not gonna press charges or whatever. But so, the lesson to this story is just simply that be sure you know what you own. Be sure you know what you own or be prepared to be embarrassed. Could you imagine the embarrassment on a serious note of that story, the embarrassment that would come about you for doing something like that? It's embarrassing, so be sure you know what you own. John chapter 15 this morning. We're going to read verses 1 through 8. I am the true vine, my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, He removes, and He prunes every branch that produces fruit, so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine. Neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit, because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch, and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we're grateful just to have the opportunity to be in your house this morning. Father, I pray that we wouldn't even take that lightly. Lord, be with just your word this morning. God, speak to us. Filter it through us, God, so that we know exactly what to take away from it, God. Any burdens or distractions we have this morning, Lord, help us to leave them at the door and get rid of them, Lord, so that we focus in on you. Lord, show us how to love you more this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, the first point this morning is just simply called the Master's Vineyard. The Master's Vineyard. There's no mistaking this principle. Jesus said, He says, I'm the vine you are the branches at the very beginning of the passage that's what he opens with and he says that I am the true vine and my father is the gardener he's the vine dresser he's the tender he's the owner of the vineyard you know it seems like all of us are born with some selfish instincts how humble you might think you are we are selfish in some areas of our life that's just what we're born with you know it doesn't take long for a toddler To develop these habits or these instincts if you've raised kids you probably know that you know by the time your child is two they know exactly what it means to say either like no or mine if you deal with kids you know that's a big deal what they say like they have these feelings that anything they touch or grab is theirs even if they don't know how to use it if it's a tv remote they're going to grab it and you're going to say hey can i have the remote they're going to say no it's mine They have no clue what it does. But to them, it's the biggest deal in the world. You know, this could be maybe a plastic dish in the kitchen. Like, you need some Tupperware, and you're like, I've got to have this to put it away. And they're like, no, it's mine. Or maybe it's even a piece of trash, an empty bottle. Kind of like a dog. You try to take an empty bottle away from them, and they're like, no, that's mine. That's what toddlers do, too. They have the same instinct. You know, it's theirs. They don't want to get rid of it. I mean, we can laugh at it today and say, well, that's ridiculous. Little children, though, don't comprehend the value of things. They don't understand that that's just a piece of trash or that it's just a TV remote or that it controls you know, your entire television set or anything like that. They just know what they have in their hands and that it's theirs because they picked it up. Children don't understand the responsibility, time, earnings, or value of things, but they immediately understand the concept of possessions. Before you just completely laugh off that, that idea, I want you to think about this. We don't grow out of it because we have a third birthday. We don't grow out of that mindset. By the time a person is 30, 50, 70, he usually has a chance to look up to heaven and look at God and say, but God, it was mine. But God, it was mine. Whatever that might be, but God, it was mine. And you'll see the but God we all, if we're being honest, have these but God moments, and not in a good way. You know, we, there are some things in the Bible where it says, but God provided this, or but God did this. This is a but, this is a bad but God this morning. We have these things that we think are ours, but in reality, they're not. You know, like, but God says the young adult, this was my future. I planned it. I worked for it. I went to school for it. I've earned the promotions you can't make me change this. You can't take this job away from me. Or, but God, I earned that money. Where did, why did the stock market have to do that? That was my retirement. Why did it have to do it now? That was my money. But God, says the church member, I've served here for years. I've been here my whole life. Do you realize how much money I've given to this church? This church is mine. You can't make these changes like that. This is my church, not yours. But God, that was my good health. It was mine. I want it back. I don't want this disease. I'm tired of feeling the way that I feel. I'm scared of the surgery. They say the treatments aren't working. It's not fair. I want my good health back. It was mine. But God, says the man by the fresh grave, She was mine. But God, says the 22-year-old by the hospital bed who had just watched his mom pass away from cancer, she was my mom. She was supposed to be there for me for the rest of my life. And you took her from me. She was mine. No, says the God to that two-year-old mentality in all of us. As easy it is to have that mentality, that's our earthly desire to say those things because all of those things are important to us. Money, people, relationships, all those things are super important to us. And so we think that we possess them. But God says, no, it wasn't yours at all. She wasn't yours, he wasn't yours, that money wasn't yours, this church isn't yours. It's mine, is what God says It's mine. You're not even yours. You belong to me. Because I am God. From the moment God issued his Ten Commandments, he made it very clear that he's a jealous God. You know, you should have no other gods before me. He doesn't tolerate other gods. And that he would never relinquish his right. That's God. He's not going to give up on that. In the vineyard, we find another opportunity to realize that God is in control, and that God is in charge. We are not. We cannot find our purpose without realizing our place. Many of us today think that we're in charge of our lives. We have control over everything. We choose what we do. It doesn't matter what people tell us. We choose it. It's not what God designed you to do. You know, obviously in the gar- in a garden the branches or the vines or whatever you want to call them, they don't tell each other what to do. The vine doesn't tell the branch what to do and the vines don't tell the farmer or whatever you want to call it, call them. They don't tell them what to do. You know, the plants don't tell the farmers how to do their job. Now, animals might be another uh, side thing if you've raised cows or chickens or anything like that. But plants, they don't speak. They don't do anything. They just sit there. The plants don't tell the farmer how to grow them. Can you imagine a plant telling a gardener or a farmer, whatever, this is what I want you to do. This is how you do it. You're doing it wrong. No, this is what I want to do. I'll do it my way. You know, the gardener knows best. The plant doesn't know what it needs, what it wants. It's just—it's a plant. It's what it is. It's kind of like if these flowers were alive. These plants can't tell us how to grow them. The gardener knows what's best for the plant. He cultivates them. He works them, fertilizes them, prunes them, waters them, covers them, sprays them, all for very good reasons. A good plant simply trusts the gardener. You know, this is something that maybe you need to work on today. Do you trust the gardener? Do you trust the gardener of your life? Or do you think that you know what's best for you? There may be no harder principle to put into practice for many believers than this idea of trust, This idea of do you trust the gardener, trusting God, or just trusting in general. Case in point, imagine four adults riding in a car. Obviously one's driving, so there's three other ones riding in there. Whenever you're riding along with someone, we're all guilty of it, what are you thinking about? You're thinking... Well, I should be the one driving. Did you see them? They just swerved off the road. Gosh, they're flying. Gosh, can they drive any faster? I mean, come on, they keep hitting the rumble strips. Why are they trying to pass this car? Why don't they pass this car? We're constantly saying, you know, we want to be in control. We want to have control. Whether you're a bad driver or not, we want control. That's just how we are. That's what we desire. And when it comes to the spiritual notion of bearing fruit, we're no different. The bad news is though that the Lord demands you to release control. You can't control your life like that. You can't desire to just be in control of something just to have it. Just because that's what you want to do. God wants you to release control. There is no options. You and I have no other move because that is the only one to do. We have no right to tell God how to do his business. Just like the plant has no business to tell the farmer how he needs to grow. So that's the bad news. You have to give up control. The good news is that means you don't have to carry the weight of being in charge, the weight of being in control, all the burdens that come along with, well, did I make the right decision? Am I doing this the right way? Are you sure that I made the right decision in pursuing that? Follow God and you let God tell you what to do. You won't have those regrets or those burdens. Your only job is to just simply bear fruit. Do you trust the gardener this morning? Second point, simple, bear fruit. That's it. Our main job here on earth is to bear fruit. It's impossible to miss. It's right there in the scripture. Bearing fruit is our job. Of the major application points in the lesson that Jesus was giving, this is one of his main commandments through this passage. It says, "Your purpose is to bear fruit, and the mission of your life is to discover how you're going to go about that process. But this time, simply, simply an excellent opportunity for you to ask yourself those questions. "God, why was I born?" Not in a bad way, but, you know, what is my purpose here? Why was I born?" This is the season to look at that question to find the answer. And if you've not already found it, turn to Jesus to ask those questions. Because so many of us just say, well, I want to do this. I'm going to go do this. And I'm serving the church. You know, I'm giving money to the church. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm in control. It's all is good. But are you bearing the fruit that God wants you to? Our lives simply about bearing fruit. It's a very very simple point. You're like that's that's not all to it. Yes, that is. That is all to it. Our lives are about bearing fruit. Third point this morning. A life long journey. Though we may have assumed that bearing fruit when we think about the idea of bearing fruit, we think that it talks about evangelism. You know, well, bearing fruit is about leading people to Christ. Bearing fruit is what the pastor does. He evangelizes, or that's what evangelists do. You see televangelists, they give these big crusades or whatever, and they win people to Christ. And, you know, that is what bearing fruit is. That's what we get in our head. And that, that's okay because that is bearing fruit, but that's not the only fruit to bear. There are so much other ones. This idea is not reserved for a single individual who might hear a person pray a prayer of salvation or the single person who might have the privilege of baptizing a new convert. It's not reserved for just those people. It's not reserved just for the pastors, the youth pastors or evangelists, whatever you want to call them. It's reserved for you too. There are so many different roles that we all can play in this church world of bearing fruit, of just living the Christian life. And that is what God wants you to discover. Everyone in this church or in a church, not just this church, in a church. Plays the role of bearing fruit. No matter where that is, with each person exercising his or her God bearing gifts. People with the gift of evangelism must be about the work, <clears throat> their work of bearing evangelistic fruit. You know, okay, they are going to lead people to Christ. But what about the teachers of the Sunday school? Maybe they lead people to Christ. But that's not really their main job. Teachers in Sunday school, their fruit is discipling people. You have a group of people that you are discipling, essentially. You're teaching them the Bible, doing all that stuff, being faithful to that class or that small group. That's their fruit. It doesn't have to be that they're leading people to Christ. Well, what about the people who drive the vans? They're not gonna bear they're not gonna bear fruit. Are you out of your mind? Those people bring kids and families to church who have no other way to get here so that they can hear. The gospel what about the people who cook in the kitchen you know they're not doing anything those people are blessing people who might not have no other meal for the rest of the week and they're getting and they're getting that here of just simply showing hey we love you well what about the people who run the sound booth or anything like that now i know travis is back there travis is excluded from this i'm just kidding but people who run the sound booth we there's jobs everywhere like, there, there are things you can do to bear fruit. That's exactly what it is. You know, think about the people who work with the Christian senior adults who accepted Christ long ago. You know, people who are teaching those Sunday school classes or taking them on trips or wherever. They probably won't see many salvations in those classes. And that's okay because most of them have been Christians for a long, long time. Or think about the people who are working with the children who are like working with the one or two year olds. You know, they don't necessarily comprehend those things. What's their fruit look like? Bearing fruit is not just simply soul winning or winning souls for Christ. It's doing the work that God has called you to do. Me, God's called me to preach. I love preaching the word of God. I love hanging out with people. I love talking to people. I could talk to people all day. If you know me, you're probably like, okay, Austin, it's time to shut up and let's go on. What Brooklyn tells me anyway is that I talk too much. But I love talking. I love making relationships. I love hanging out with people. If it was up to me, I couldn't do anything like what Nick does. Nick stands up here and sings. It would be an awful racket if I got up here and sang. It's not my gift. That's Nick's gift. Some people's gift is to hold babies. Brooklyn likes to hold babies. I could not do that. She sits up here and holds Eli through all the songs. Listen, guys, my arms get tired. Even if he only weighs, you know, 10 or 20 pounds. That gets old after a while. I can't do that. That's not my gift. But Brooklyn, she can hold him all day. Maybe that's your gift. We need people in all of those roles, guys. It's not about just, well, soul winning. It's not what it's about. You have to find what tools God has equipped you with. And then you're going to bear that fruit that he's called you to bear. You know, it's important to have the right tools for the job you're doing, though. Not just everybody can teach a Sunday school class. Not everybody can drive a van. Not everybody can hold kids. Not everybody can play music. It's okay. You've got to find the tools that God has given you. Because God's given us all tools to help further the kingdom. You know, if you're going to have a fruitful life, according to this this story, the study, you've got to have the right tools. There's a psychologist at Stanford University He wants to try to show that we live for productive results, that we don't perform well if we're not seeing results. I mean, that's, I mean, okay. Yeah, I see that. You know, if we're putting in, especially like dieting, okay? You know, I'm trying to go through this diet. Obviously, it's not working at the moment, as you can tell. But, you know, you go to the gym. You're trying to cut back a little bit. You're trying to only go to McDonald's once a day instead of twice a day, you know, whatever. Um, But you get discouraged when you're not seeing any results. That's just what happens. We get discouraged in all forms of life. And he did this study though. He went to this um, like logging camp, I guess. Um, I guess that's where we would find loggers in this logging camp who we were cutting wood and stuff like that. And he said, "I'll pay you double what you get paid at this logging camp if you take the blunt end of this axe and just pound this log all day. You never have to cut one single piece of wood. Just take the end that is blunt. That's dull. It's just a piece of metal." and hit it as hard as you can, and I'll pay you double all day. And of course, the guy was like, well, yeah, heck yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll, I'll hit this for double the pay, that's awesome, and not have to produce any results. After half a day, the man quit. By lunchtime, the man had quit, and the psychologist asked, him, he said, why'd you quit? I was paying you double to not even produce any results. He said, because every time I move an ax, the chips aren't flying. I have to see the chips flying. If I don't see the chips fly, it's no fun. Seeing results is fun. It's not fun to teach a Sunday school class all your life and never see results. It's not fun to preach your whole life and never win anybody to Christ. It's not fun to play guitar your whole life and never get any better than you were at 18 maybe. It's about producing results. We get discouraged about all this. Jesus didn't simply command that we bear fruit He promised us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus has equipped us with different gifts to produce results. You have to find those gifts, though. Maybe your gift isn't driving a van or teaching a Sunday school class or holding babies. Maybe it's one of the other things. Maybe it's working in the kitchen. Maybe it's cleaning tables. Whatever it is. Maybe it's greeting people. We all have a role somewhere. We all fit in somewhere. He gave us these gifts And the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit is what gives us these other gifts. Each of us is distinct in the body of Christ. While some may have the gift of evangelism, others may have the gift of teaching. While some have the natural born gift of being greeters or of talking a lot to people, some people are more apt to comfort people and counsel people maybe when they're going through hard times. Whatever it is, we all have gifts. And all these gifts lead up to the command that Jesus has given us, and that's to love one another. You know, the fruits of the Spirit, they're found in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the gifts are just simply, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's hard for me not to sing the song whenever I do it to remember those. But those are the fruits of the Spirit. And the first one no matter what translation you have, is love. Because that is the ultimate fruit. That's what he's called all of us to bear, is to love one another. And God has given you gifts to serve wherever, to love people, to love people. That's what these that's what four, you know, every job, in the, every job that you can do in the Christian life is to love on people, this happens to be the very first fruit of the Spirit because that is the ultimate command. And frankly, there are lots of other ways to bear fruit as well. Titus 3.14 says, Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works for pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. Psalm 1.3 says, He, talking about the righteous man, is like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prosper do you realize the joy of this? Every thought, every action, every attitude, everything can be a good work. Another grape on the cluster, essentially, if you want to go with that symbolism. By these things, the Father is glorified. It's what God's Word says. By these things, the Father is glorified. If it's only for winning people to Christ, we could go our entire lives with precious few moments when we think, okay, I'm getting it. Jesus didn't intend for any of us to live in the kind of guilt and disappointment that we experience. He doesn't want us to experience that. That's why we can have freedom in him. He intended for us to have abundant life. While that is a great quality, our lives are still so much more. It's an ongoing process. It's a lifelong journey. So bear the fruit that God intended for you to bear for your individual purpose Bearing fruit, like I said, though, is a lifelong, lifelong journey, commitment, and discipline. It takes a lot of work. Instead, though, we think that, well, if I'm doing exactly what God's called me to do, then results are just gonna come. Fruit is gonna come no matter what I'm doing. Just as we think if sometimes if we plant a seed, the plant's just gonna sprout up overnight and it's gonna be great. We don't think that. So why would we think that about bearing fruit for Christ? Don't be discouraged if you're not seeing results. A fruit only produces fruit in its season. And that's why, that is why self-control is listed among the fruits of the Spirit. Because we have to have self-control and discipline in our lives if we want to see fruit. Perhaps self-control is at the top of the tree because it's the most difficult fruit to harvest. It's hard for us to have self-control. It's hard for us to have discipline, because it's commitment, it's everyday thing. We have to do something every day to discipline ourselves in order to produce fruit for Christ. And it's hard, and we don't want that. We have to realize that if we're going to bear fruit, if we're going to live this Christian life like we want to, that we say we are, we have to realize it's a life, long commitment. and it takes practice, it takes work. There'll be discouraging times, but there'll also be happy times. self control is important because through that self-control, you'll look at those discouraging times and it'll make the good times so much more sweeter. You'll look back on those discouraging times and say, that was all worth it to see whatever fruit you think God has called you to bear. In every garden, in every vineyard, there's an opportunity to be discouraged. Weeds thrive Insects infest, mildew flourishes, disease finds some kind of home in your plant. In every life, likewise, there are elements that can hinder the production of fruit in our lives. We have hard times in life, you know, whether it's financial struggles, relationship troubles, marriage troubles, job troubles, whatever it is. We have troubles, and those things can hinder the production of healthy fruit. <clears throat> it would be easy with all the negative elements in our lives To simply look at this passage and be discouraged of the vineyard, it would be easy to think, I can't. There's too much guilt in my life. I have too much going on. I'm too busy. I can't serve like that. I can't do that. I've tried it before. I'm frustrated in the search. I'm disappointed. I'm discouraged. I don't want to bear anything anymore. If so, listen to a wonderful truth. If you let the vine dresser direct your path, you'll not be tired in the work of bearing fruit. You'll not be stressed and you'll not be confused. You'll simply bear the fruit and enjoy the process. Think about the object lesson that Jesus said. Have you ever, have you ever seen plants confused about what they're supposed to produce? Have you ever seen a grape Confused as to, what? well, should I try to grow this time to be a banana or a blueberry or something like that? No, we don't see that. Jesus uses this object lesson because plants produce the fruit that he has created them to produce. And that's simply the case with you as well. These kinds of things don't happen because plants produce those fruits naturally. They have the natural, wonderful, loving, guiding hand of the gardener and they don't have to do anything except what they were designed to do. Frankly, if you're exhausted and your life's work, maybe you're in the wrong line of work. If you're tired of teaching Sunday school and you're through with it and you're done with it, maybe it's time to look at another job. Maybe you're doing the wrong thing. If you're sick of teaching children's church or being in the nursery or whatever, maybe you're not meant to be with kids. It's okay. Find something else. If you're discouraged of hanging out with the teenagers and the students, it's okay. Find something else. We can't just look at everything though and say, well, I'm just tired of church. I'm tired of everything in general. I don't want to be a part of anything because that's not the mentality God gave you. It's okay to become discouraged in some areas. It's okay because maybe that's not what God's called you to do. If I had to be in the kitchen, I would be miserable. I hate cooking. I hate doing all that stuff. It's not what God's called me to do. But for some of you, he has. You've got to find what God has called you to do. Healthy branches don't get stressed. They simply bear fruit. You may be trying to make bananas come out of apple buds. Things that just aren't possible. You're trying too hard. You may be stressed because you're doing some unnatural work. The owner of the vineyard doesn't want you to do something unnatural. He wants you to produce fruit naturally. And he's already given you all that you need to do to do a great job you just got to find what that is. You've got to find what you're most comfortable with. And closing today, I want to end with a story. There's a guy named Danny Simpson. He lived in Canada. He was desperate, though. This was several years ago. He didn't have the resources he needed to survive. He was short on cash, shorter on skills, so nobody was going to hire him. He had run out of time and options, and so Danny took this gun that had been passed down for a few generations in his family that his grandfather had passed down to him. He went to a bank and he robbed it of $6,000 in a holdup. He took the gun and he robbed it $6,000. Danny wasn't very good at robbing banks though. Like I said, he was short on skills. He was promptly arrested, obviously. Arrested and he was put on trial and two significant things happened during that trial. First of all, Danny was sentenced to six years in prison his opportunities to succeed in life dropped to very, very low portions. Obviously, he was short on skills, had no life, had no money, and now he's just been sentenced to prison. But second, as the courtroom looked closely at the evidence, folks really looked at the weapon he had used. It was a um, <clears throat> like a Colt 45 semi-automatic. It was an antique gun. It was made by the Ross Rifle Company in 1918, and its value. Well, somewhere around $100,000. I want you to think about that for a moment. Danny robbed a bank for $6,000, got sentenced to six years in prison, while all while holding something worth $100,000 in his hand that he could have sold and gotten a good start. Danny had what he needed without even knowing it. God will not ask you to bear a certain kind of fruit without equipping you to do that work. Maybe you're trying to do something and it feels unnatural, but you're just trying to get by and you're like, I want to serve, I want to do this. All while God is equipping you to do something that he's really called you to do. God's really got it. You've got it in your hands. You've got it in your your person. But we're not using it because we're trying to do something that's unnatural. Unnatural. No matter the question, the answer is in the Bible. We ask God so many questions of, well, God, I just can't find my place. I'm tired of, I don't want any more of this. You've got the answer. You've got more than what you need already. Many of us think that, well, God, Austin, God didn't, God didn't equip me with any gifts. I'm just a church goer. I come here on Sunday mornings, that's about it, and I go to work the rest of the week. And that's it. I, God didn't equip me to do any more than that. I throw 20 bucks in the offering plate every now and again. That's about it. Just a just nobody. I couldn't be farther from the truth. Could not be farther from the truth. You've got more than what you need already. God has equipped you for a purpose. He didn't equip you just to be a Sunday morning churchgoer to throw $20 in the offering plate every now and then. He's equipped you for so much more than that what you may really need is trust and reason to go back to that first principle from the first instruction that it's not about you Jesus said it's about me I'm the vine not you you're just the branch my father is the owner of the vineyard not you he'll make the gardening decisions he'll do the pruning he'll call the shots that's his right it's not yours Maybe you've gotten caught up in this mindset of, Austin, I'm tired of serving. I've served this church for so many years, and whether it be with children or with youth or in the kitchen or driving vans, whatever it is, I've served this church for so many years. I need a break. I'm done. I'm done completely. I don't want any part of it. I'm just going to come to church whenever I can, but I'm done serving or maybe you've gotten caught up in the mentality of "Austin, I've given this church so much money over the years. I've gone to this church my whole life. I'm going to call the shots around here." I call the shots around here not 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 these other people who don't give any money or not these people who just come in here and just think that they run the place. Not the pastors, not anybody like that. I give money here. I'm going to call the shots. Get over yourself. Get over your self-loathing. Because that is not what God has called the church as a whole to do. God did not put any single one person in charge of anything. God has not called you just to be lazy for the rest of your life. And you might say, well, Austin, I'm retired. I'm just going to enjoy the rest of my life. Is retirement from being a Christian biblical No, find your role, find your place. God's called you to some area and he wants you in it and you're gonna thrive, I promise. If you find the right area that God has called you in, you're gonna produce more fruit than you've ever seen in your entire life. It's time for us as Christians and as a church to realize what our main job is and that's to produce new fruit. If we're not doing that, then we're not being the Christian that we're supposed to be. We're not being the church. We're not being a church at all. Because God's church is called to produce new fruit. So maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe you have a self-pride issue. Maybe you have a laziness issue. I don't know what it is. Find your role and help produce new fruit for the kingdom. Maybe this morning you don't really even understand what I'm talking about at all. Maybe you've never accepted Christ and you don't even understand what this whole church world is about. That's okay. You can come talk to me up front, grab somebody else, I don't care. Talk to them or I'll be in the back after the service if you wanna talk to them. I'm gonna pray and the altar's open. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for just simply loving us and giving us all the gifts, Lord, that you have. Lord, I pray that we would all find our gifts. Lord, help us to desire to serve you in any capacity that we, that we can, what we need to. God, I pray that you would adjust our hearts. Help us not to be lazy for serving you. Help us not to have prideful issues about serving you. Lord, just help us to love you and want to see more and more people come to your kingdom. Father, if there's anybody in this house today who may not know you, Father, I pray that you would convict them. Lord, convict their hearts, Lord. Help them to get it right for the day's over. Lord, we love you. Show us how to love you more. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Altars open.